mic on. Pass four loaded with SPL friend request adjustable. Time remain. Pad four is playing SPL friend request mic on. Mic on. Greetings again, folks. This is Joseph, and this time I'm going to be playing for you the 19th episode called Revelation Life at its Best. Enjoy. Mic off. What does the future hold? Where can we find certainty in a world of uncertainty? The Book of Revelation provides hopeful answers for today, tomorrow, and forever. Join Mark Finley, author and world-renowned speaker, on a journey into the future with Revelation's Ancient Discoveries. Revelation's prophecies focus on every aspect of our lives. You may wonder, what does health have to do with spirituality? How does our spiritual life impact our physical life? And how does our physical life impact our spiritual life? As we open the pages of the Bible and focus on the book of Revelation, we'll discover today answers to those questions. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you as the wonderful creator that you've shaped and fashioned our bodies, that we're not some cosmic accident. We pray that as we study your word and specifically the book of Revelation, you would reveal to us your divine truths. In Christ's name, amen. The topic in this program is Revelation Reveals Life at Its Best. More and more scientific research indicates that the decisions we make dramatically impact our health. The question at times is still raised though, do our lifestyle choices really make a difference at end time? And how do these lifestyle choices impact our spiritual life? Is there any relationship between what we eat, what we drink, and how we treat our bodies to our relationship with God? Does the book of Revelation discuss these subjects at end time? When you look at what's taking place in our world, men and women are often dying prematurely, dying of heart disease, dying of cancer, dying of complications as the result of diabetes. We look around the world and we see the health of scores of people deteriorating. Does this make any difference to God? Are we just kind of genetically programmed to get certain diseases as the result of what happened to our parents, or are we programmed because of our environments around us? Is health a matter of chance, just like rolling the dice, or is it a matter of choice? More and more research is coming to the forefront indicating that health is not simply some matter of chance. Certainly environment and certainly genetics play a role, but our choices can either add or subtract years to our life. And the choices we make matter to God. What happens when we make poor choices? What's the result of those poor choices and how does that impact our own spiritual life? 
What does the Bible say about health? And specifically, how does health play into the scenario of the book of Revelation? Well, let's go back. Back thousands of years in time, back over the millenniums, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. Now the dragon figure is used of Satan as one who destroys. If the devil wants to destroy, he merely doesn't want to destroy this earth by polluting the atmosphere, polluting the waterways, but he would want to focus on the most specific thing that God created that reveals God's love. And what do you think that is? Of course, human beings. So the devil focuses on destroying our health. He is the health destroyer. Now notice what the scripture says. It says the great dragon was cast out. He's the dragon who destroys and the serpent of old. Why is he called the serpent? Because he deceives. So the devil is a great deceiver, not only a destroyer, but he's a deceiver. He deceives us into thinking that our lifestyle practices or habits make very little difference. You see, the way we care for our bodies on earth reveals how we would care for them through all eternity. Satan attacks the creation of God, tries to destroy these bodies of ours, and the choices that we make today. You see, the highest object of all creation is our body. There's nothing more significant to God than you. Your mind, your body, your spirit, your emotions are all an integrated whole. And how we care for our bodies now would really determine how we'd care for them throughout all eternity. In fact, our Lord says, 3 John 2, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and may be in health just as your soul prospers. God desires us to be in health. God desires our bodies to be in tip-top shape. God is a health giver. Satan is a health destroyer. And that's why John writing says, I pray that you prosper. God wants you to be prosperous and in health. That's his desire. Now, the Bible teaches that we're whole persons, that God wants to save us completely, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. See, the Greek idea is that the soul and the body are separate so that the Greeks believe that whatever you did to your body doesn't affect the soul, that the soul is separate and distinct. You could eat whatever you want, drink whatever you want. It really made little impact on your spiritual life. But according to Scripture, God wants to sanctify us completely. In fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says that God would sanctify us completely, body, soul, and spirit, that we, he could present us blameless before the coming of Jesus. The things that affect our physical bodies also affect our minds. What affects our minds, our thought processes, affect our physical bodies. And what affects our physical bodies and our, and our minds also affects our spiritual health. How does the Holy Spirit communicate with us? Does he communicate with our fingers? Does he communicate with our big toe? How does the Holy Spirit communicate with us? He communicates with us 
through our minds. And in our minds, we have housed the brain, where there's conscience, reason, and judgment. So if the quality of food I eat produces an unhealthful quality of blood that brings less oxygen to the brain, then the Holy Spirit has a difficult time communicating with my brain. If I don't have an exercise program, so I, my blood is sluggish and my thoughts are foggy, then I tend to fall asleep when I read the Bible, tend to fall asleep when I pray or sit in church. So our physical habits dramatically impact our spiritual life. That's why in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 and 7, when God gives his last day message to the world, where God speaks to all humanity about his soon return. That's why the scripture says, fear God, that is reverence or obey God, not be afraid of him, and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Can we worship God by merely destroying and defiling the greatest object of his creation, namely our bodies. But notice what the Bible says, fear God and do what? What does the scripture say? Fear God and do what? Give glory to him. So part of God's last day message, part of his end time message in the book of Revelation is to give glory to God. How do we give glory to God? What does it mean to glorify God? Does glorifying God have anything to do with these bodies of ours? The Apostle Paul tells us exactly what it means to glorify God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we glorify God in our lifestyle practices. We glorify God in the physical practices of our bodies. The scripture goes on to say, and put it this way, for you're bought with a price. We are bought with a price. The precious blood of Christ on Calvary has purchased not only these minds, but has purchased these bodies. Therefore, whatever you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. So my habits, what I eat, what I drink, what I take into this body of mine reveals whether I am treating my body as a funhouse or as a temple. Remember the Bible says, your body is the temple of God. It's not some funhouse, but there the Holy Spirit is to live within our bodies. And everything we take into these bodies is not merely to satisfy or gratify selfish appetites, desires, or cravings, but it's rather to give glory to God. Now, there are some lifestyle practices which destroy our bodies, and so we need to take a look at them. Lifestyle practices that defile this temple that God has created. One of those, of course, is cigarette smoking. Dr. Linus Pauling has put it this way, every cigarette you smoke takes 14.5 minutes off your life. Think of it. 
One pack of cigarette, just calculate it, how many minutes that's taking off your life. Smokers will tend to get lung cancer far more rapidly than non-smokers. They'll tend to have coronary heart attacks at a much greater degree than non-smokers. In fact, the Cancer Research Institute in the United Kingdom puts it this way, smoking is the single biggest cause of cancer in the world. God wants you to have pure lungs. He wants you to breathe fresh air. He wants you to be climbing mountains with your children at an, and your grandchildren as your life proceeds. He wants you to enjoy life, not be afflicted with cancer or heart disease as the result of poor lifestyle habits. You know, smokers have a 25% higher risk of a heart attack than non-smokers. God desires that you live in abundant, that you live a full life, that you live a life of joy and meaning. You remember what the Bible says, the thief cometh not but for to kill, to steal, and destroy, John 10, verse 10. But Jesus says, I am come that you may have life more abundantly. In the original language, that more abundantly is a life in superabundance. God wants you to have a life, a life full of meaning, a life full of purpose, a life that is healthy. Now, certainly, we live in an environment of sin. Certainly, we live in an environment where the air is polluted. Certainly, there are some things that impact our health over which we have no choice. But if this world is a world in rebellion against God, if indeed there are environmental and genetic factors that predisposition us to disease, that doesn't mean that we just throw up our hands and say, so what, I'm going to get sick anyway. It means that we're more careful. It means that we are more conscious about the things that we take into our body because we do not want to cooperate with the evil one to destroy the body. We want to build up this body. Nicotine causes the arteries to shrink. And as they shrink and become more hardened, plaque builds up in those arteries. And again, smokers have a much, much higher degree of coronary artery disease. You know, you feel that knife-like stabbing pain in the heart and brought about by either poor diet, cigarette smoking, high stress. Jesus says to you and me, I want you to live a life of peace and joy. Come unto me, Christ says, all you that are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He wants our bodies to be in indeed good health. You know, secondhand smoke dramatically impacts our children. And more and more research is indicating that children have asthma problems and children have breathing problems when they are in the homes of smokers rather than the homes of non-smokers. Now, somebody says, Pastor Mark, it, I don't know. I've been smoking since I've been very young, and I don't know if I can possibly quit. The Bible says in Revelation 3, verse 21, look what Jesus says, to him who overcomes, I'll grant to sit with me on my throne. You know, to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, Jesus says seven times, to him that overcomes, to him that overcomes, to him that overcomes. You can be 
an overcomer. You can have victory. I love the way the Apostle Paul says, he says, thank God that gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You remember the theme of the book of Revelation? The theme of the book of Revelation is Jesus wins and Satan loses. What is it, everybody? Jesus wins and Satan loses. As you reach out in faith, as you believe that Christ can give you victory over tobacco, over alcohol, over the unclean foods that we take into our body to destroy them, over the harmful drugs and substances, over habits that defile our body of immorality and multiple sexual partners today. Often it is free love and free sex. And, and what's taking place in our society? Sexually transmitted diseases are growing extremely rapidly. But Jesus says, I will give you the power, the strength to overcome. Jesus says, you can overcome those desires of the flesh, those cravings of the body. Christ says, I'll give you that power. I was helping a young man once quit smoking. He's about 29 years old, and he had been smoking since 14, 15 years old. He's been smoking about 14 years, smoking a couple packs of cigarettes a day. And uh, he said, Pastor, I really want to quit, but the craving is so hard. We read to him passages from the Scripture, helping him to know the promises of God's Word. Read to him John chapter 1, verse 12, As many as received him, to them gave he the power or the authority to become the sons of God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, This is the confidence we have in him. If we ask anything according to his Word, he hears us. And I said, look, who do you have your confidence in yourself? No, pastor. Where's your confidence? It's in Jesus. Do we ask anything according to his word or his will? He's going to hear us. Is it God's will for you to quit smoking? Yes, it is, pastor. When do you think he's going to give you victory? Well, pastor, I'm not sure. What does the text say? This is the confidence we have in who? Is it in ourselves? No. Who is the confidence in? Him. And uh, if we ask anything according to his what? His will. He's going to do what? He's going to hear us. Let's pray, my brother. We got on our knees. He began to pray. Here's how he prayed. Seriously, here's how he prayed. Dear Lord, I'm so weak. Dear Lord, I don't think I can quit smoking. Dear Lord, I've been smoking for so long. I listened to him pray for about a minute and a half, two minutes. I said, oh, no, he's going to be worse after he prays. And so I shake him. Stop praying. Don't pray anymore. He's, he looks at me probably the first time a preacher told him to stop praying. I said, stop praying. Don't pray anymore. He said, why not? I said, what, the way you're praying, you're praying so negatively. Dear Lord, I can't quit. I said, you're reinforcing your mind with all this negative stuff, even in your prayer, and you're simply cooperating with the devil. He said, what? I said, you pray like this. Dear Jesus, I'm weak, but you're strong. Dear Jesus, I might not be able to overcome, but you can enable me to overcome. Dear Jesus, the book of Revelation says to him that overcomes, to him that overcomes, and I believe that you're going to enable me to overcome. That young man prayed in faith, and by the grace of God, there was victory. You see, quitters always win, and by the grace of God, you can win. Whatever habit is gripping your life, whatever habit you are struggling over, Christ's grace is greater than that habit. Christ's grace is stronger than that habit. The Bible says in Romans 5, verse 20, but where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. 
no matter how you've been caught in the shackles of sin, no matter how sin has gripped you and held you in its hands, Christ is stronger than all those, that evil power of sin. You see, Jesus is stronger than any enslaving physical habits. The Christ that touched the eyes of the blind and they're open. The Christ that touched the ears of the deaf and they're unstopped. The Christ that healed the withered man's arm and new life and vitality came in again. The Christ that caused the lame to walk worked miracles by the man by the pool of Bethsaida who was there for 38 years. You may have had these enslaving habits for years, but Christ is stronger. People have often said to me, where are the miracles of Christ today? We don't see him working miracles. Come with me. I see Jesus working miracles all the time. He's working miracles of his grace, miracles of his power, miracles of his strength. He's delivering people from tobacco, delivering people from alcohol, delivering people from the enslavement of evil habits that are destroying their bodies. He is still the miracle working God. He is still the one just as he did 2,000 years ago, who healed people miraculously. He's healing them of habits today that are destroying their bodies. The Bible says in Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, the Bible says, and it will be opened to you. The scripture says, for everyone, for who? Not a few. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it'll be opened. Jesus says to you, come. Come to me asking, come to me seeking, come to me knocking, and I will give you my strength. I will give you my power. You can be, Jesus says, victorious. Romans chapter 6, verse 16, do you not know? To whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, that one slaves you are. If nicotine is controlling you, you may not realize it, but you're a slave to it. If, to if alcohol is controlling you, you may not realize it, but you're a slave to it. If lusts are controlling you or drugs, you become slaves to that thing that is controlling you. But Christ can set you free. Somebody says, Pastor, I'm fighting the battle of the bottle. Bloodshot eyes. Uh, alcohol affecting the human brain, affecting conscience and reason and judgment. There are many people that want to find relief from anxiety, relief from stress and worry, and they turn to the bottle to do that. And as they do, alcohol simply deadens their senses. Alcohol keeps them from enjoying life to its fullest. Alcohol creates so many physical problems, so many social problems. The Bible is right when it says in Proverbs 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker. What does that mean? It deceives you. Strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So the Bible says it's not wise to be led astray by alcohol. It goes on to put it this way, who has woe? I don't want woe, do you? Who has sorrow? I don't want sorrow. Do you? Who has strife? I don't want strife. Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? What a catalog of things. Do you want these? Woe, sorrow, strife, complaints, needless bruises, bloodshot eyes. What does the Bible say? Those who linger over the wine and go to sample bowls of mixed wine. 
Yes, the Bible is very clear. The person who lingers at wine or alcohol simply brings sorrow upon their life. How many broken families as the result of alcohol? How many car accidents as the result of alcohol? How many women abused as the result of alcohol? How many families left financially in ruin as the result of alcohol? The Bible is plain in Proverbs 23, verse 29 to 33, when it says, do not gaze at the wine when it's red. That's when it's fermented. When it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly, God says, it's going to deceive you. Don't even stand there gazing at it. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. How many of you want to be bit by a snake? You're walking down a path. There's the rattler, and you say, hey, 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 rattler, come on, come on over here a little closer. Let me stick out my leg to give you a little bit of blood. <laughs> That's certainly not what you're saying, right? You take a glass of alcohol. It says at the end, you may not think it at the beginning, but at the end, it's going to bite like a snake. Somebody says, well, it's not going to happen to me. Do you know that two out of every five people who begin drinking end up with serious alcohol problems? Two out of five. What if you had a German shepherd and it only bit two out of five people that came to your house. You say, hey, Mark, come on over. You know, I'd like you to visit my house. Uh, I got a German shepherd, and I got to tell you ahead of time, it only bites two out of five people. I think you got a pretty good chance here. I'm not coming over to your house for lunch and risking that my leg's going to be torn apart with only two out of five. Two, it's sobering, friend. Two out of every five people that begin drinking end up with serious alcohol problems that impact their family, impact their job, impact their relationship with their friends, because alcohol becomes the most dominant thing in their life. The Bible says, Proverbs 23, verse 29 to 33, your eyes will see strange sights, your mind imagine confusing things. But somebody says, Pastor Mark, didn't Jesus create an alcoholic beverage at the wedding feast of Cana of Galilee. You know, the Bible tells us how much alcohol actually was in those jars, those wine jars. In John chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, it says there were set there six water pots filled to the brim. So they were filled with water. And um, then what happens is Christ uses that water and turns that water into wine. Now, what does the Bible say was the quantity in each water pot? One thing you have to understand before we go to quantity, actually, that's helpful here is this. The Bible talks about wine in two ways. It doesn't often distinguish between fermented wine and unfermented wine. Uh, fermented wine in the Bible is an alcoholic beverage. The Bible condemns that. But also the Bible uses the term wine and it describes a pure juice of the grape which is non-alcoholic. Let me give you an example of that. Isaiah 65 verse 8 puts it this way. As the new wine, what kind of wine everybody? New wine. The new wine is the freshly pressed juice of the grape that's unfermented. As the new wine is found in the cluster and one says, do not destroy it for a blessing is in it. So new wine has a blessing. It's fresh. It's found in the cluster. We know today that grape juice has heart healthy benefits. Indeed, it's not so much the fermentation in the grape as it is the qualities of the grape unfermented. So let's go back now to these jars. 
Did Jesus create a fermented drink for people to go crazy after they drunk it because they were drunk at the feast that Christ made? Certainly not. Here's the jars. One jar, according to the measurements in the Bible, was 20 to 30 gallons. There were six of them. So these six jars had 120 to 180 gallons of wine. How much wine does it take a person to get drunk? Can you get drunk on a gallon? Can you get drunk on a half a gallon? Certainly one could. Now look, how many people were at this feast? This was not a large village. There may have been a hundred, we don't know for sure, but I know this, there was enough wine to get every person at that feast, if they would drink at all, drunk one time, two times, three times. Can you imagine? Here's a person. They're leaving this feast, if what some believe that was fermented wine. The wine's been all drunk up, they're driving their ox cart. They drive their ox cart off the road. They break their leg. Hey, how'd you break your leg? Well, I had such a good time at Jesus' feast. Somebody comes home and they have uh, um, gone off with another woman. What happened? Why'd you come so late? Well, I got drunk at Jesus' feast. Somebody comes home and beats their wife. It's preposterous. That's not going to happen. Jesus is not going to in any way create this fermented beverage that destroys health, that destroys life, that destroys families. Not at all. Did Jesus create enough fermented wine to get the whole village drunk? Certainly not. He would never have done that. The Bible says in John 2.10, he said to them, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when guests have well drunk, then the inferior. But look, but you have kept the good wine till now. What kind of wine was this? Was this fermented? It was good wine. It was the pure, sparkling juice of the grape that brought invigoration to the body. Christ invites you, through His grace and by His power, not to defile the mind or the brain with alcohol, to deaden the brain cells. One drink begins to deaden brain cells. And Jesus says to you and me, I want to speak to your heart. I want to talk to, that, to your mind. I want to send the Holy Spirit to give you the highest, the noblest, the most elevated thoughts possible. But if we defile our minds with alcohol, the Holy Spirit cannot communicate with them as He would so want. Alcohol, social problems, more car wrecks are caused by alcohol than any other thing. Somebody says, Mark, I'm really struggling. I know sometimes alcohol becomes really a crutch. It really becomes a way out. You have deep problems in the family, financial problems. You've worked and you're stressed at work and you find a little relief in alcohol. I want to say to you that relief can come in Jesus. Don't make the bottle a substitute for Jesus. Don't make alcohol a substitute for the one that is the Prince of Peace. I love the way it's put in Isaiah 26, verse 3, where Jesus says this, Peace, I will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusts thee. You see, when you take alcohol, searching for peace, you're going to have to take another drink and another drink, and you become more addicted and more addicted and more addicted. But Jesus can give you that peace. Christ promises you both peace and abundant health living at end time, preparing for the second coming of Jesus. Jesus desires that our bodies and minds 
give Him glory by the lifestyle habits that we have. Now, what about habits that come in the area of diet, the things that we eat? Look at a promise that God gave to ancient Israel in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what's right in His sight, give ear to His commandments, keep His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now, God promised Israel that as they wandered in the desert wilderness, if they kept His commandments, that the Egyptians would have certain types of diseases that Israel would not have. Following God's way of obedience enhances our health. Turning our back on God's way of obedience is health destroying. Let's look for a moment at what the promise was and how that promise was fulfilled to the Israelites. Psalm 105 verse 37 says, there was none feeble among his tribes. In other words, as Israel followed the commands of God, as they lived in harmony with the principles of God, God met His promise. He fulfilled His promise, and there was abundant health given to the Israelites. What about the Egyptians? Studies confirm that the truthfulness of God's Word is wrought out, certainly, in, as we study the Egyptian lifestyle. Studies done on the Egyptian mummies continue to show the authenticity of God's Word. Let's look at a couple of those studies. Ramses II, one of the most famous pharaohs of, of Egypt, died of a massive heart attack. Now here is the most amazing thing. Dr. Rosalie David of Manchester University in England has done autopsies on mummies. Now what happens in these autopsies? Mummification was very often practiced in Egypt. The uh, bodies were taken, the organs were taken out of the body, the brain was taken out, and um, they were put in what's called canoptic jars. And so you're able to, to do an autopsy on a mummy, look at the organs, look at the veins and arteries, and see how these people died. This is an amazing photograph. You are looking, can you believe it, at the arteries of Ramses II. And notice the artery here on the left side of the photograph. You notice the placking in that artery. Notice the arteries on the far right, the narrowing, the hardness of those arteries. The later Egyptian dynasties, particularly among the wealthy, had a very high-fat, high-sugar diet. And so as the result of that, cholesterol built up in the arteries, and you know what happens when cholesterol builds up in the arteries. The heart can pump. If, as it pumps, it pumps the blood through a narrower artery or a narrower area. That artery gets smaller and smaller with the placking. As the heart pumps, a plaque can break off. As it does, it can seal that artery. When that happens, the oxygen supply to the heart is cut off. There is that painful, stabbing heart attack. The Israelites had abundant health. The Egyptians suffered from many of the lifestyle diseases we're suffering today. Dr. Claude Ruffet, a French physician, has done x-rays on 14,000 mummies. So we have a pretty good idea of what the Egyptians were dying of. What were they dying of? Heart disease cancer, 
They were dying of arthritis, uh, obesity, high blood pressure, rheumatism, sexually transmitted diseases. Many of the diseases we have today in our society were diseases of lifestyle. Today, the great diseases that are killing us are no longer influenza, no longer are Western societies dying as much of childbirth deaths. We are dying now of lifestyle diseases, diseases that are brought about by our own living habits. You know, in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, God gives to us a diet for life and a diet for health. It was really a plant-based diet. Genesis 1 verse 29, the Bible says, and God said, see, I have given you. Who has given it? God says, I have given it. If God gives us a diet, I want to follow it, don't you? He says, I've given you every herb berry that yields seed in the face of all the earth. In other words, fruits, nuts, grains he gave there. And some of the things we would call vegetables today, like tomatoes or beans, the things of seed. And every tree whose fruit yields seed, it too shall be to you for food. So God gives to Adam and Eve a plant-based diet in Eden. The diet in Eden was a vegetarian diet. Can you imagine Adam saying to Eve, hey Eve, you see that cow over there? How'd you like a steak for supper? And can you imagine Adam chasing it, jumping on it before sin, slitting the throat of some cow and having blood all over the place? Certainly not. God gave to Adam and Eve a plant-based diet. There was no death of animals in any way. God did not create the animals to be killed and eaten by man. It wasn't until after the flood in Noah's day that God gave people permission to eat flesh food. That came they were right after the flood. Why? Well, the human race had sinned and all the world was destroyed by the flood and vegetation was destroyed. So to meet that emergency, God gave them permission to eat meat. Also, God gave permission because human beings had sinned and they'd gone into such sinful lives that he knew that flesh food would shorten the lifespan. So God made accommodations to that. But the original diet was a plant-based diet, and his desire was human beings eat that plant-based diet even after sin, even after the days of Noah. God instructed Noah to bring into the ark animals that were clean and animals that were unclean. So God didn't give Noah permission to eat any kind of animals, not at all. God gave them permission to eat only the clean animals, never the unclean. Now, if you want the healthiest diet, of course, you go back to a plant-based vegetarian diet. Genesis 7, verse 1 and 2, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female. So God creates animals that are clean and that are what? Unclean. The unclean are the scavengers of the earth. They are to eat up all the refuse of the earth. You know, somebody said what you eat today walks and talks tomorrow. So these scavengers are digesting the garbage of this world. Now, there are two kinds of animals, the clean and the unclean. We were never to eat the unclean. They were to do the work that God gave them to do. 
The unclean and the clean were taken into the ark. The clean were taken in by sevens because they would be used for sacrifices. The Bible is very clear in defining these unclean animals. So if you want to follow the Bible's way, never take the unclean animals. Deuteronomy puts it this way, chapter 14, verse 6 to 8. And you may eat every animal with cloven hoofs, having the hoofs split into two parts and that choose the cud among the animals. So the clean animals have two characteristics. What are they? They chew the cud. What's that mean? They chew their food. It goes down into their stomach. They have a very complex digestive system. They spit it up and chew it again. So the clean animals have a complex digestive system and don't absorb the toxins directly into their flesh. They also must have a split hoof. Sheep are like that. Cows are like that. And so sheep and cows would be clean animals. If you're going to eat meat, stick with the clean ones. But what about the unclean animals? We look back at Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 6 to 8. Nevertheless, of those that chew the cud or have cloven hoofs, you shall not eat such as these. These what you shall not eat, the camel, the hare, the rock hyrex, for they chew the cud but do not have cloven hoofs. They're unclean to you. So notice the Bible says the camel's unclean. So I want you to go home and throw away all camel in your refrigerator. Do you love Jesus enough to take out all the camel in your refrigerator? No more camel sandwiches for lunch. Women, don't make your husbands any more camel sandwiches for lunch. No more fried camel for the kids at breakfast. No more. You say, Pastor, I don't eat that stuff. Well, let's keep going. It says the swine is unclean. Nobody eats swine, do they? What's a swine? It's pig. That's pork. I mean, nobody, would, would anybody eat that? What does the Bible say here? The swine is unclean to you because it has cloven hoofs, yet does not chew the cud. You shall not eat their flesh or touch their dead carcasses. So the Bible says that swine or pigs are unclean. Why? Because as they wallow in the mud, as they eat the scraps and food that's absorbed into their, their, their body. Some say, well, well, my pigs are grain fed. They still have waste. They still don't have a complex digestive system. And all that toxin or poison is absorbed in their flesh. The Bible says in Psalm 84, verse 11, no good thing will Jesus withhold from them that walk uprightly. If pork were good, God would not uphold it for us. Somebody said, but pastor, wait a minute, that's Old Testament. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus did not die on the cross to cleanse pigs. He died on the cross to cleanse sinners. What was unclean before the cross is unclean after the cross. You know, you think Jesus dies on the cross. Does he work some kind of magic through his death so that uh, pigs that were unclean and unhealthy become now clean? Not at all. This is not a ceremonial requirement. It is rather a health requirement. P pork has the highest cholesterol source of all meats. And when you cure bacon with nitrates, that is, links bacon with cancer today. Dr. McNaught, health researcher, found that one of every four pork specimens had living trichina larva in it. One out of every four. Somebody said, Pastor, but I cook my pork so hot it kills them all. Does it give you any comfort that you are eating a half a million dead trachina larvae rather than living ones? 
You know, some physicians wonder whether some rheumatism and arthritis with pains may be wrongly diagnosed and actually that inflammation and pain may be coming from some of the unclean foods that we eat. So God is calling us to health. He's calling us from these unclean foods. Somebody says, does it really make a difference? Look what the Bible says, Philippians 3 verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame. The issue is not only what we eat, how it destroys our bodies, but the issue is the desire, the craving not to give our appetites under the control of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, come, present your body a living sacrifice to me. The issue is setting our mind, as Philippians says, on earthly things rather than setting our mind on the things of heaven and giving Christ our body to live with him forever. Now, what about things in the sea? Deuteronomy 14, verse 9, these you may eat of all that are in the waters, that you may eat all that have fins and scales. So if it's in the sea, it has fins and scales, you can eat it. Whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It's unclean. The things that do not have fins and scales, lobsters, crabs, the things like clams and quahogs. So they are absorbing the toxins in the sea. And as the result of that, I remember when I was a boy, I didn't know these things. I'd walk there in the mud, the filth in the ocean, about up to my knees, look for what we call core hogs. They're like clams, but they have hard shells. And you know, what are they doing? They're absorbing the, the, the refuse, absorbing the guts of the fish that have died, absorbing all those dead things. You know, and I'd feel one of my foot, I'd find it. I'd take this clamp this quahog out, throw it to my grandpa on shore. He would take a knife and cut it open, put a little vinegar and salt and pepper on it, hand it back to me. I'd go, <laughs> swallow that thing raw. You know, as a teenager, I had terrible stomach problems. You say, Pastor, you should have known better. Yeah, I didn't know better. I didn't know these things. But what's your excuse, my friend? You see, God's calling us. God's calling us away from all these defiling things. Since I gave up the pork, as a boy, since I gave up the unclean foods as a boy, since I gave up the uh, clams, the lobster, my health has been so much better. Somebody says, Pastor Mark, what about Peter's vision? Didn't Peter have a vision of all these unclean things? Let's go to it. Peter is up on the roof, he's praying, and he sees in his sheet rats, snakes, alligators, he sees elephants, he sees monkeys, he sees turtles, he sees all these wild animals. And God says, Peter, go eat that. Peter says, Lord, I could never do that. I've never eaten anything unclean. Now notice, this is after the cross. So obviously, Peter's saying, I never ate anything unclean. So Jesus didn't make some miraculous change of these animals at the cross. Jesus says, go eat it. Peter doesn't understand. The sheet's taken up from heaven. Two men come knock on his door. They say, Cornelius is praying. Peter considered Cornelius to be unclean as a Gentile. The voice came to Peter in his dream, Acts 10, verse 13, 14. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. What does Peter say? Not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. I can't do that, Lord. This is not in harmony with your will. God shows me. Peter says, as he interprets the dream, the two men knock on his door. They say, there's one called Cornelius. 
He has been praying. God has revealed to him that someone will come to preach the gospel and we'd be led to Simon the Tanner's house and Peter, we found you, come and preach. Had Peter not had that dream, his prejudice against the Gentiles would have been so high he wouldn't have come there. So later when he's explaining what he did and why he did it, he says, God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Peter interprets the dream, not that he should eat any food that he wants, but that he should never call a human being unclean. In a truth, I perceive God shows no partiality. This is a vision about racial harmony. This is a vision about respecting men and women as the unique creation of God from all backgrounds, all cultures, all colors of skin, all language groups. So it has nothing to do about what you eat, everything to do about how you treat people. Because look what Peter says, Acts 10 verse 34 and 35, but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. It's a vision to break down barriers between creeds and peoples and races. But somebody says, you know, pastor, this is so difficult for me. I, I don't know how I can give up tobacco or alcohol. I don't know how I can give up unclean foods. And to be honest with you, pastor, sometimes my physical desires get out of control. Sometimes my cravings get out of control. Sometimes somebody says, pastor, my life isn't morally pure. Here is the reality of the situation. Without Christ, you can do nothing. If you try to overcome the physical cravings of your body without Christ, you're not going to accomplish it. You're going to fail again and again and again. It's like Shakespeare said. He said, it's not hard to quit smoking. I've done it a thousand times. You see, Shakespeare worked to try to overcome habits of his life in his own strength. But you can never overcome the habits of your life, those physical habits in your strength. Without Christ, you can do nothing. But with Christ, all things are possible. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Jesus, through the apostle Paul, says to you, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What can you do through Jesus? What can you do through Jesus? Who's stronger, Jesus or tobacco? Who's stronger, Jesus or alcohol? Who's stronger, Jesus or unclean foods? Who's stronger, Jesus or the cravings of the flesh, the physical desires? Who's stronger, Jesus or those drugs? I can do all things through who? Through Christ that strengthens me. A number of years ago, I was helping a woman to quit smoking. Her name was Carol. And I was talking to Carol, and she had been brought up in a Christian home. She had been drifting away from Christ, and she began to smoke. And she really wanted to come back to Jesus, but she said, Pastor, I feel so weak. I feel just so weak. I don't think I could ever quit. We opened the Bible, and I began to read to her the promises of God. Without me, you can do nothing, but with me, you can do all things. We came to Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, and I opened the Bible, and I said, Carol, read. And she read, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. And I said, Carol, do you believe that? She said, I don't know. 
Pastor, I've got to be honest with you. I really don't know. I don't know if I can quit or not. I said, Carol, do you have a pen? She said, sure. I said, get your pen. I want you to write something in your Bible. It's really important that you write it there. And she said, Pastor, I'll write it. And I said, but let me tell you, see that text that it says, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me? Yes, Pastor. I want you to write in your Bible, except quit smoking through Jesus. So the text is going to read, I can do all things except quit smoking through Christ that strengthens me. She said, Pastor, I'm not writing that in my Bible. Pastor, I'm not writing that in my Bible. I said, Carol, do you believe it? Do you believe what God said? Do you believe what God said contrary to your feelings, contrary to your cravings? She said, Pastor, I claim it. Pastor, I believe it. Pastor, yes, I, I sense that I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. I said, get your tobacco. She got it. We put it on the floor. We prayed. And by the grace of God, that woman came to Jesus, and she let aside those habits of life. You see, when you cry out from your soul, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. Jesus, I know you're living in my heart, but Lord, I'm trapped, I'm enslaved in this habit. Give me Jesus' strength. Lord, I'm eating unclean foods, but I love you. But Jesus, give me your strength. Jesus, give me your power. Listen, as Celestine sings, give me Jesus and wherever you are, open your heart to that living Christ right now. Take tomorrow, I'll still 
been struggling, struggling with some habit in your life, struggling with alcohol, struggling with tobacco, struggling with some drug addiction. Maybe you felt enslaved, imprisoned, chained, bound, but yet deep within your heart you want to be free. Maybe you're in a relationship that you know is not in harmony with God's will, and that's been binding you. Maybe you've struggled again and again with some article of food, unclean food. Maybe you've not considered before that the people living before the second coming of Jesus will give Jesus everything. They'll give Jesus everything, their mind, their body, their emotions, their spiritual life. Christ does not want part of you. Christ wants all of you. Would you just open your heart to him right now and say, Jesus, I'm opening my heart to you. Will you cry out, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus as we pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the living Christ who comes with all his power to meet our needs who comes to strengthen us and break the shackles that hold us as we cry out right now, give me Jesus. That's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Revelation's ancient discoveries. Every single one of these messages will be life-changing, so stay with us.
mic on. This completes the episode about revolution, life at its best. Coming up next is going to be episode... Mic off. Mic on. Episode 20. Why are... Why is there so many denominations? Thank you for the thank you for listening. May the Lord bless and keep you, and may His face shine on you and give you peace. Bye bye. Mic off.